the person who was, you know, the, the type A, the go-getter, the, you know, overachiever. A lot of that, by the way, was because I was able to distract myself from some of the chaos that I was feeling mm -hmm. at home, looking back on that. Um, so crying wasn't safe for me because I was afraid that if I opened that door, I was never going to stop. Hey there, I'm Ani Michalski, wellness coach, therapist, and mom to half a dozen amazing kiddos. This podcast is for moms who desperately need a break, but refuse to take one. You know who you are. You have a jam-packed schedule and you're so busy doing everything for everyone else, you don't leave any time for you. What's up with that? Well, no more. Take off your superwoman cape and learn how to put yourself on your to-do list. This is the Moms Without Capes podcast. Hey, did you know that there's a Facebook group filled with Moms Without Capes? Women who are learning that it's safe to take off the superwoman cape and take care of themselves? There sure is, and we'd love to have you in the group. Moms Without Capes is a free community for moms who feel overwhelmed, stressed out, and exhausted from trying to do it all. Come discover who you are under that cape and give yourself permission to show yourself some love. Search Moms Without Capes when you're in Facebook or follow the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. See you there. We have here today on the Moms Without Capes podcast, a special guest, Jen Rafferty. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. So presenter and author Jen Rafferty started her teaching career as a middle school teacher in central New York for 15 years. She founded Ed Empowered Educator in 2020 as a response to teacher burnout during the pandemic. Jen is known for bringing her energy, humor, and expertise in her presentations while inspiring educators to stay connected to their why. She is a certified emotional intelligence practitioner, an author, TEDx speaker, and is currently pursuing her PhD in educational psychology. Today, Jen joins us to share about martyrdom and how it absolutely how it's absolutely not beneficial to anyone to make a complete sacrifice of ourselves in the name of motherhood. So let's just dive in, Jen. Tell us a little bit about your journey and what brought you to be where you are today. Sure. Well, it's great to be here. And I, I really think sharing our stories is so important. So I'm, I'm glad you asked me with that. <laughs> so we're going to start there. Um, I, I like to start, you know, right before the pandemic, actually, because I had just published my book and I was super excited about doing all of the book things that go along with it. The book was about being a music teacher, actually. And two weeks after it was published, I decided I wanted to get a divorce. So I ended up moving wow. out. Yes, I did. I mean, it wasn't like an immediate decision. Know, was, right. Yeah, it was, it was going in that direction for a while. And so I ended up moving out with my two kids who were five and seven at the time, the weekend, the world shut down. So I was now in a new place, um, with my kids trying to figure out how to homeschool and to teach music online while grappling with this new identity of being separated and being in isolation, right? Um, it was a lot. To say <laughs> I was, the least. To it say was the a least. lot. <laughs> and um, I found though, that this was also an incredible opportunity for me to reconstruct my identity and really reclaim who I wanted to be. Having 
no connection to who I have been. And that was huge. And so when I went, one of those big turning points for me actually happened when in the fall of 2020, I decided to stay home and homeschool my kids for that year. I started my PhD and our very first class, my professor asked us to all, you know, introduce yourself. And what I was reading was that everyone was describing themselves in relation to their spouse, yes. in relation to their kids or their relation to their job. And while I still very much was a mom and loved that, I, I didn't, I wasn't comfortable leading with that. And I had this moment of like, who am I? <laughs> am <laughs> An identity I? crisis in your 40s. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it, it really was. And, and that really was a catalyst for then, for, for me to be able to say, you know what, who, who am I? What's important to me? What do I wanna do in this life? Um, how do I get there? And so I started asking the right questions. So I started diving into my PhD, which is in educational psychology, discovered the world of mindset, which led me into the world of cognitive neuroscience, which I've also been really super nerdy, excited about my whole entire life and um, became certified in emotional intelligence. And then decided, you know what? I don't think I wanna be in the classroom anymore. I want my impact to be different. So I opened up my company, which is Empowered Educator, which I now work with teachers and school leaders about focusing on this social emotional well-being of the adults in schools. And, you know, this is it. This is the linchpin, I think, of really making generational change in our world. What an incredible story. You did so much in the past two years, right? Yes. <laughs> the rest of the world is grappling, like coming to like, what are we doing here? And here you are just pushing forward and really recreating yourself. Yes. Yes, I, I did. It. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, which brings us to our topic, right? Which is about martyrdom. And so often motherhood, like when you become a mom, we are taught, you know, I, I always like lean, like, I know it's especially like Christians, certain religions, like will lean towards sacrificing yourself in the service of others. And when you become a mom, right, when we have these little humans to take care of and you become, you know, you have this family that, you know, you love, it is easy to do. It's easy to get lost, get, you know, just sacrifice yourself. But then it gets to this point and all moms get here where you're like, what am I doing? Like you lose yourself in it. And so that's really what I, where I want to go today about how do we like for the listeners, what, what is martyrdom and how did we get here? Like where where does the idea of having to sacrifice yourself for the betterment or for others or for the sake of others, where does that come from? Mm. So that's a great question. And the researcher in me wants to say, I will, I will do some research on that and get back to you. So I will give you my version of this, but I, yes. I, I would like to research some more about the origin of martyrdom from what I do know about the origins of it and where it started and, and how this works is it's the patriarchy. <laughs> I mean, it is <laughs> the air that we breathe, the, the world that we've been living in where women especially um, have a place in the family, have a place in, in this world, which becomes very much a, a, a role of a giver. And when you are a giver, 
you're not supposed to need anything. And whenever there is an inkling or a feeling to want or need, or dare I say, desire something, it becomes this idea of it being selfish because givers should not want right for themselves. Yeah. Correct. And so we perpetuate this role because this is the role that's been modeled for us by our parents, which have been modeled for us by their parents and modeled for us by their parents. And so I just want to make, it's nobody's fault, right? right? This, This is in the air that we breathe. And like you said too, there are other elements of religion or other spiritual belief systems um, that are at play here. Also politics are at play. There are so many structural systems at play to keep this narrative the way it is. And we buy into it because we create meaning about it when we want to do something else. I mean, I remember when I first had my son, my sister came to visit. He was probably four months old at this point. Right. So, um, you know, not way out of that very infant stage. And she came up from Miami. And I remember prior to her coming up, I had a moment where I was sitting with my therapist. Like I, I want to be able to spend time with my sister, but I feel really guilty about leaving my son. Right. Right. (laughs) It was four months old. And all, all she needed to tell me was she basically gave me a permission slip to -hmm. give myself permission. And as a, a recovering people pleaser, Uh, as, you know, a perfectionist, as someone who really wanted to fill this role of being a mom, having someone else say, Jen, it's, it's okay that you do this was actually all I needed to hear at that moment. Mm -hmm. And I was able to go out with her and have a good time. Yet there were still feelings of guilt that existed afterwards. And until I started doing the work that I'm doing now about mindset and, um, you know, really cognitive neuroscience and and that emotional intelligence piece of understanding why that happens. Um, I didn't understand it. And so I would bathe myself in guilt about it. And then I wouldn't be present because I'd be feeling distracted. I wouldn't be having a good time anyway. And then I'd be feeling really crappy when I got home because I feel bad that I left. It's a cycle. (laughs) Well, or fair, right? Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I experienced very similar to that. And my youngest or my oldest was 11 at the time. So it took me a long time to, to give myself that permission and then to work through those uncomfortable emotions that came with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I know a lot of moms struggle with that, with that Mm -hmm. mom guilt and feeling like that they can't take a break or they can't pursue a passion or anything like, or live a dream or do what they want. And then they feel guilty for even wanting it. You feel guilty for even wanting to wanting it. So that's, I think the first thing is to create safety in the wanting. Mm -hmm. That is, that is one of the first steps in all of this. And what, what happens is, you know, whenever your system starts to feel unsafe, it's going to initiate your fear response, even though it's something like, I'm afraid to go out because I'm afraid of what that means about me as a mom. Your fear response is initiated and activated. So you are getting flooded with cortisol and um, your, your adrenaline and you're in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. That's just where you are in that moment. So in that survival mode, you're not able to go there because your fear of it is keeping you small and the same. And understanding that 
that fear isn't dangerous. You're not actually going to die by reaching for your dreams. Um, Navigating that, having a working relationship with your brain is really important to getting to the other side of this. So awareness and then that nervous system regulation of creating safety is essential for you to even start to have this conversation with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you say about that fear, the role that it plays and and how how it comes into like how it can feel so big and it can prevent you from ever pushing past it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what are some other, like, what are the other steps? Like, how do we push that has that fear? Like, how do we um, take back ourselves? Mm. So there's, there's a couple things here. So the first fundamental principle that I operate on is the most generous thing you can do for your kids is take care of yourself, period. I agree with that. <laughs> Create an entire business on that. I agree wholeheartedly. That's it. That is it. And it's been so backwards. And in, and in living the life of the backwards, what we're doing is we're, we are modeling our, for our kids a life that normalizes not reaching for your dreams. Mm-hmm. Sacrifice in the sake of selflessness and martyrdom. And you know, so you can tell your kids, you can do anything you want, right? But what you're showing them is, but if you're a mom, then you can't, right? Put yourself on your back burner because, right? So it doesn't matter what you say, right? The, the, the messages that they are receiving are in the actions that you are taking and that they are perceiving in that household. And so that's, that is extremely powerful. And before I get to the steps, I will let you know that, like I said earlier, my kids were five and seven when I decided to get the divorce and move out and start my business and reach for my dreams and do and go out and do other things. Right. And I had to do all of the work that I'm going to tell you about. I, I practice this myself, but my kids see me as a person who is living their best life. So much so that my daughter said to me, who's now eight, she said it to me last year. Hey mom, I think maybe your next book should be about how to live your best life. (laughs) I love that. Right? And I was like, yes, thank you. I, maybe it will be, you know what? You go write that book, Sandra, you know, and they're watching. watching. And so I've become very comfortable saying, I know you really want me to make you dinner right now, but mommy needs to go upstairs for 10 minutes and meditate. Mm-hmm. You're really hungry. Go make yourself some cereal. Right, right. Because if I were to do the dinner feeling activated, mm-hmm. I would be impatient. I would feel resentful. I would be angry. I could snap because I'd be short tempered. Mm-hmm. And so that 10 minutes is more valuable than me actually being there to make the dinner when right. they need it. Right. So you can make your meal with love. That's, <laughs> like, right. that's why yeah. it tastes so good. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And be present and be happy because when right. we are feeling those feelings, how are we showing up? Mm-hmm. You know, we're not, we're in survival right. mode. We're not showing up We're and, and we don't have safe places to express those emotions. So they just go in our body somewhere right. until they come out in all these weird and unexpected places. Right. We don't have to do that anymore. In, in fact, I, I would encourage you that if you're listening to this right now, 
we're done with that. <laughs> <laughs> there's your permission right there. Right. <laughs> it is done now. And, and there's another way. So first of all, understanding that this is not you. This is your wiring. Mm -hmm. This is your brain. This is your decades of adaptive behaviors because you're human and because we live our lives and we want to be able to be safe. That's your brain's job is to keep you safe. And it's been, if you're listening to it, it's doing a great job because you're here now listening to this podcast, right? So thank you brain for being <laughs> alive this whole yeah. time, right? So there's this piece of this that we tend to push against all of these feelings because they don't feel good but it's actually our just, it's our biology. Right, right. We're right. given a whole realm of feelings to feel. Yes. And how beautiful is that? This is mm -hmm. the best part of our humanness. So when we hate on it, we, we really devalue an incredibly important part of what makes us human. Absolutely. So that's, that's first of all. And I think the, the second piece of that then is to recognize when you're feeling this way. So when you're feeling the guilt, when you're feeling the resentment, when you're feeling the anger, what does that feel like in your body? Like, we all know what that feels like. I don't know. For me, I'm, I sweat and I, it's, I, I sweat a lot. <laughs> and, and my, my stomach is all crunched up. Right. And my, and my brow is furrowed, you know, like, well, how, do, how do you feel when you're stressed out? Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. My stomach, like, I feel like it's in knots. Mm -hmm. I feel like my tension, like the, my muscles are actually tensed up. In fact, I've been getting stressed out a lot because it snowed here. And I had my, <laughs> I was telling you before we record, I let my kids take a snow day because I'm like, I cannot put myself through that, that 40 minute drive, like driving 15 miles per hour with my stomach in knots. Like it was physically making me sick yesterday. And I'm like, I I'm not doing it snow day for all. And, and that's what we did. Cause I had to deal with that. Yay you, right? What a good decision <laughs> because when you win, everybody around you wins, right? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. So recognizing that that response to your stress in your body, because you can't see your thoughts, but you can feel your feelings mm -hmm. and you feel this manifesting in your body. So when you start to feel you, you're sweating or your stomach is clenched or your muscles are tight or your shoulders want to be your earrings all of a sudden, you know, that's a moment of awareness mm -hmm. where you get to stop and say, huh, What's going on here? Because our body talks to us all the time. Right. We're just terrible listeners, right? We're terrible <laughs> listeners. So having that moment of awareness and then knowing how to regulate. So there's a ton of things. And, and what we're doing is, again, this isn't you, this is your system. Your nervous system is in this survival state. We need to bring it to a state of safety. Right. So when you bring it to your state of safety, you can do this in a variety of ways. I mean, breathing is my favorite. That's my go-to, you know, and I'm sure you teach this to your clients yes. that you work with too, right? I mean, breathing is so undervalued because it's something we just do all the time. So we take it for granted, Right. but this intentional breathing, the purpose is to slow down your heart rate, to regain that connection to your prefrontal cortex, which is the part of your brain that you need to solve problems, which goes offline when you're in survival mode. Um, my go-to is the box breath. I love that inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four. I do that three times. Uh, and I do that several times a day. I have an alarm in my phone that goes off four times a day that says, you know, Hey girl, don't forget to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so what that does is it interrupts my day. So even though I might not be noticing in that moment that I'm feeling stressed, 
when I pause for a second, I start to notice, oh, what's happening to me physically? That's interesting. I actually was feeling a little bit tight mm-hmm. and I get to regulate. Um, so that, that has been one of the best tools, but there are so many ways to regulate, right? I mean, I love going to rage room. Uh, rage rooms are the best. Do you, have oh, we, you know what? They just opened one here in the town and oh, I yeah. get to go to it, but I keep hearing about it. Oh, you gotta go. I bring my kids there too. You know, mm-hmm. we, it's a, just a really great way to just break stuff <laughs> and, and let out the anger and the frustration mm-hmm. in a way that that's safe, you know, and, right. and because right. you have to do something physically with your body because that's where the feelings are. Right. You can't, you can't right. talk yourself out of this. Right. Um, I mean, which is why exor- there's such a huge connection between like exercise and improved mental health because it's bringing you back into your body and helping you move and getting those, all those feel good chemicals going and, and all of that. And so the same thing, like with the rage room, like you're releasing those chemicals that are helping you regulate. A hundred percent. Anytime you move your body, you're going to be changing your emotional state. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even just getting in your car and rolling up the windows and screaming, right? Like having a primal scream. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all for crying as well. I feel like that is such a therapeutic experience. Like you just, there's nothing like a good cry. And then you're like, take the the breaths and you're like, all right, I've got this. Like, yeah. And the thing about crying too, we've created a place where crying is a sign of weakness. Crying mm -hmm. is a sign of, you know, not being able to hold it together. Crying is a physical release of emotion period. Just like the exercise, just like the screaming, just like the rage room, just like the breathing. And there have been so many people who have learned that it is not safe to cry. And so even creating the safety around the crying is really important Mm -hmm. where, you know, now I was always the person who was, you know, the, the type a, the go-getter, the, you know, overachiever, a lot of that, by the way, was because I was able to distract myself from some of the chaos that I was feeling at home, looking back on that. Um, so crying wasn't safe for me because I was afraid that if I opened that door, I was never going to stop. Right. And so I had to do a lot of work around creating space for me to just go there. Mm -hmm. And that took time and it didn't always feel good. Right. Right. But going through that, you know, you don't live there. I think we Mm -hmm. get so afraid we're going to get stuck there, but we don't ever get stuck. Mm -hmm. You don't have to ever attach to a feeling or an emotion. Um, We get to go through them. And then there is this other side there and you don't have to do this alone. You are never alone, um, but creating safety around the crying is is super important. And now the tears come all the time. That my kids know if I'm not crying every day, something's wrong with me because <laughs> I'm somewhere, right? And it's either you know it could be sadness or overwhelm, but it could be joy. You know, right. I, I love I, I love using the phrase gratitudes. You know, <laughs> like sometimes I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude, and the tears just come. Just expression, yeah. Yes, because my my body needs to release an emotion. So right. you know, I right. open the door and it's, it's never getting closed again. I love that door. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's funny because when I, I I found like within the past like year or two, like I have noticed that like I struggled to express my emotions without crying. Like whenever like I'm having like a deeper conversation like with my husband or with my kids, like tears come and I'm like, why am I even crying? But like they it just comes with the when I'm expressing and when I'm sharing like something that I feel strongly about, my default is to start crying and then I'm like okay I get it out and we talk about it and then I'm good like, <laughs> like yeah. you know it's that that release for sure yeah the struggle comes in the judgment yeah and judgment is a choice and what's a really good way to get out of that judgment is curiosity because curiosity and judgment cannot exist in the same place in your brain right. so as soon as you start to notice you're judging it start asking questions huh what are these tears about? Isn't yeah. that interesting? What's going on here? Right. Um, and then the judgment's gone. You're getting curious. Yeah. Today's episode is sponsored by the Super Mom Detox, an incredible coaching program designed to help moms take off their super mom cape and feel comfortable in their own skin. Have you felt like you've lost yourself since becoming a mom because you got caught up in the idea that you have to take care of everyone and everything else and sacrifice who you are to be the kind of mom you want to be? The Supermom Detox will guide you in rediscovering who you are and getting yourself off the back burner and onto solid ground. This amazing program will teach you how to let go of perfectionism, people-pleasing, unrealistic expectations, unhealthy boundaries, and negative thought patterns that are keeping you stuck. Motherhood can be so much more enjoyable when you learn to take care of yourself the way you deserve. Stop feeling guilty or bad about making time for yourself. You are so worthy of taking up space. Find out more about the Supermoms Detox by clicking the link in today's show notes and signing up for a call with me. If nothing else, you'll get clear on what's keeping you on the back burner. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about people pleasing, which you mentioned that you are a recovering people pleaser, <laughs> as am I. And so how is that an invisible obstacle to making significant change, to letting go of the martyrdom? So people pleasing is an adaptive behavior. Okay. And I, and I say this under this generalization that, you know, if you're human, you've experienced trauma, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not all big T, some little T that there's no hierarchy of trauma. We experience stressors in, internally as stress inside the body, the same, no matter what they are. Right. Right. So we, when we are a people pleasing person, that adaptive behavior comes from this idea that if everyone else is happy, if I'm able to keep everybody else happy, then I'm safe, right? It always comes back to safety, all of it. It's always about safety um, and nervous system safety, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that is an obstacle in getting to the other side of martyrdom because you are never going to make everybody happy. In fact, what other people think is none of your business. You have no control over anybody else's thoughts, beliefs, language, actions. The only thing you have agency in 
is yourself. And that includes, I just want to interject and just say that includes your children. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's like people pleasing that is, you know, you do not have control. So here's the thing. I'll give you realize you, that the yeah. Yes, I'll give you a good example about this, right? So you you lay down a, a boundary, or you you know you follow through with a consequence, and your kid's mad at you. What happens is your adaptive behavior makes meaning about it. They're mad at me, so I must not be a good mom. And that jump from A to B is your wiring telling you a story because of your past experiences of what you believe to be true way earlier on in your life before you ever even had kids or before you were even <laughs> old enough to understand the context of these things. Our belief systems and structures happen from the time we are in utero from about third trimester till until the time we're about eight or nine years old. And we are just video cameras operating on our subconscious, making meaning about everything, making meaning about ourselves, making meaning about our world and how we fit into the world and what that means about me. So sometime in that, in those years, those formative years, <laughs> right? Those for many of us experience something of even like just just the example of when you were just think about when you were a kid and your parents were fighting in the other room and you were sitting in your room playing or whatever but just hearing that in the other room and thinking what did I do to make them mad mm. right that's a really good example of that because in reality now that we're adults with fully conscious minds we know that probably had nothing to do with you. (laughs) But as a child who's making meaning of the world and how you fit into it. And as a child who thinks the world revolves around them. That is exactly right. (laughs) Right. Because we don't have that conscious yet. It's just you, right? It is just it. That's how our brains are. But that belief system and structure cements into your brain. And that's the stuff that carries it. So fast forward decades later, your little girl is running the show. (laughs) It just is. (laughs) So when your child, your own child then gets angry, your reaction, of course, is going to be, how do I fix this? What did I do? What does this mean about me? But when we break it down like that, we understand that it is not you. It is your wiring. Is that capital T truth? Absolutely not. And then we start to unpack, okay, well now what is actually true? What is my role here? What do I need to believe about me as a parent right now to make sure that I uphold the values of our family in this moment? And those are the questions that you get to start asking yourself. Again, going back to curiosity, getting rid of that judgment. And then you can really step into your power and, and make those choices that, that really represent who you are and who you want to be. I love that. I love that. Even though a lot of that I have known, right. I, I, I teach that I coach about it. I sure. counsel about it, but I've never heard it described just like you did, like with, as that example, and as your five-year-old self sitting there and like how those beliefs, like I know they're cemented in our formative years and all of that, but I just loved how you just gave that example and how you explain that. It makes a lot of sense. And I hope that for the listeners, it does too. Mm-hmm. So what other advice can you give or what else um, can you add to this conversation before we start wrapping up about martyrdom and how to, how to, how to get to the other side of it? 
So it is always a choice. And I, I think that's the biggest takeaway here, which is why those breathing breaks for me are so important. If you can take anything away, that to me is the most important because we operate on autopilot. We operate on our subconscious 95 to 97% of the time we are in default mode. And that's great because it's efficient. Our brain is super efficient. But what that also means is that whenever we are going to make change, there needs to be conscious interruptions and then conscious choices to move outside of your comfort zone, which is immediately going to be met with resistance. Because again, if your brain's job is to just keep you safe, anything outside of your comfort zone isn't safe, even if it's you living a life, making new choices that are going to counteract your old belief system, right? I mean, I had to do so much work around this in order to move from being in a relationship with my husband at the time, however dysfunctional it was, it was still, you know, a relationship come to terms with me wanting the divorce wasn't going to mess up my children for the rest of their lives. Hold right. On. Sure. Okay. Good. So I, I had to do so much work around making those new choices for myself, you know, from, from living in a, a marriage and, and with a partner that was dysfunctional to coming to terms with, okay, getting the divorce wasn't going to mess up my children for their entire lives to then making the decision to homeschool my children. COVID, you know, in of itself was a whole exercise yes. in making new choices about, what I'm doing is enough. I am enough. I am a good mother. I, they are fine. I, you know, in me making these new choices, I am helping them out. Um, when I choose me, everybody wins really working that belief structure, but even more than that. And before that I had to become aware of when I was feeling crappy (laughs) So I could make new choices in those moments. You know, when people look at my life, even at the beginning, when we kind of like said my story, you see these really big moments, right? Where it's, I did this and I did this and I did this. And all of a sudden, you know, two weeks ago, I was, I was on the TEDx stage, right? It's like, whoa, Jen, that's amazing. How did you do that? Well, it was because in those days, there were dozens of micro choices that I had to consciously make along the way to get me to those steps. And those breathing breaks were were clutch because if you don't interrupt your autopilot, you are never going to change. So finding those moments for you to just drop into your body, notice what's happening. What are you feeling? Where is it in your body? What thought were you thinking just then to cause that feeling in your body? Is that thought true? Do I want to hang on to that thought? What do I need to think right now in order to show up the way that I want to do consciously make a new decision Mm -hmm. and then continue your day? That, that stretching of that notice muscle was the most important thing that I did to lead me to all of the changes that I was able to do for my life, for my family, for my kids, for my finances, for my business, all of it that was, that was essential. Love it. Mm-hmm. I got to start doing some box breathing. Sounds like. You'll think of me. Yeah, I'll set some <laughs> alarms on my phone. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's it. Hey mom, short on time, but feeling like you're at the end of your rope or that your bucket is nearing empty. 
Grab this list of 15 self-care practices that you can do in under 15 minutes. These ideas will get you quickly back on track and are great for moms who are limited on time. I think that's most of us. So check out the show notes or go to momswithoutcapes.com backslash self-care-ideas to download your list today. So aside from taking those breathing breaks, uh, what else, what is your go-to self-care practice? My go-to self-care practice, um, I say I'll have two of them. One I mentioned already, that's the rage room. That is, they know me there. Like, hey, Jen, like, hey, what's up? Yeah, I'll, I'll in 20 minutes. They're like, cool, we got you. Be a whole um, different person in 20 minutes. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Um, because that to me, you know, my my youngest is eight, my daughter's eight, you know, and she's mad, the whole neighborhood knows, right? I mean, that's just how this works. But when you get to a certain age, it's not appropriate anymore. But we're not taught explicitly how to process our anger or our frustration or our resentment. So we don't do anything with it. Or we vent to our friend, we call up our bestie and we're like, can you believe? But you can't talk through the emotions. You have to process them physically. So, you know, going to a batting cage is some, someone just told me that if you, if you are a runner, go run. But the rage room for me is amazing. And I like the tears will come. I will scream. And so will my kids. I will bring them along with me. And get it out guys, you know, and that self-regulating strategy is self-care. I use self-regulation kind of more so than even the word self-care, because I think, like you said at the beginning, self-care has become this thing where it's like, go get a massage and go get a bubble bath and go have a glass of champagne or take a mental health. And those things are, I love all of those things, but that is not a sustainable practice. Right. That is a nice to have. That is not self-care. That is treating yourself. Yeah. Right. Which by the way, everyone needs to do that anyway. Right. Right. (laughs) Like that's something that we all need to do also, but that is not to be conflated with self-care. That is not self-care. The second thing that I do that I have made a point to do that I've made a part of my practice that as a very busy mind and a type personality was very difficult at the beginning, but was to meditate. And that is a practice where at the very beginning, I also used to be really resentful of people who used to be like, oh, we'll just meditate. Like, what do I have time to meditate? Are you kidding me? I'm just going to sit and meditate. When am I supposed to do this? You know, and quiet my mind. Are you kidding me? Um, but the truth is, it is a, it is truly a practice. It is a skill Mm -hmm. that you get to develop because of course you're not going to shut off your thoughts. Your eyes blink, your heart beats, your mind produces thoughts. That's just how it goes, right? You're not bad at meditation because your mind won't stop. It's not supposed to stop. But what you are able to do when you do this practice is try to navigate how to detach from the thought. Mm -hmm. And even if it's just three minutes of breathing and concentrating on your breath, that awareness to yourself is going to be such a gift to you and your own well-being in the long run. And you know, the more you do it, the, the longer you'll be able to do it. There's so many resources out there right now. I mean, choose your own adventure. But that to me has been one of the most healing practices for me yeah. that I used to hate and now I love and I can't live without it. 
love it. Love it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I used to not like meditation either. Like I just didn't get it. I didn't get it. But then the more, like you said, it is a practice. Like you're not supposed to be perfect at it. Like mm-hmm. it's something that you include and you you work towards elongating the time that and like really releasing those thoughts, like noticing, releasing, and like you were saying before, without judgment. That's Correct. the key. Correct. So what is a book that has either greatly impacted your life or could be on the subject, a book that you can recommend to our listeners? Sure. Um, I'm actually going to share two because one one was, um, medicine for me when I was going through my divorce and that's untamed by Glenn. Oh my gosh. That was our first, I started a book club and that was our first book. Yes. And so I I wanted to share that, but I assumed that was one that came up a lot on this podcast. So (laughs) so I want to share the other one, but that I drank like medicine and then I read it again and Mm. it's still on my shelf. And I refer, I can't actually read the the prologue without crying. Yeah. I'm crying. (laughs) Um, so that's the first one. And then the second one is actually Worthy Human by Tracy Litt. Um, oh. And that, that book really is fundamental to understanding how or the tagline is you are the problem, but in the solution, you know, you are the person who's the variable. And once you understand that you have the tools to get out of your own way, anything's possible for you. Nice. And who wrote that one? Tracy Litt. Okay. Okay. All right. Awesome. So where can listeners find you, Jen? Well, the, I I think one of the most fun places to find me is on Facebook at Empowered Educator Faculty Room. And that has a lot of content and lives and um, fun things there. And of course, my website, empowerededucator.com. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show today and sharing your wisdom. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Moms Without Caves podcast. I'm always up to hearing your ideas for future episodes, so send me a DM and let me know. And if you enjoyed today's episode, it would be awesome if you'd leave me a positive review wherever you're listening to podcasts these days. Until next time, take care of you. You are worth it.